Well, good morning and welcome, uh, brothers and sisters of Christ, and to our guests who are here, welcome to you as well. Um, before I get into today's sermon, I was thinking about this, and I initially had titled this sermon, The Gift of Blessing, and then uh, Tuesday as I was considering where to preach, this will be a first for me, I've, I've never preached from the book of Zephaniah before. But a verse popped up and caught my attention, and I thought, what an amazing topic to really bring up at the idea of Christmas, but restoration. Those of you guys who know maybe a little bit of our church history is, is we come from a movement, not a denomination or something like that, though people can play with that, whatever, called the Restoration Movement. And much like Martin Luther in the, his movement, Previously to that, the idea was to take the church and restore what the Bible talked about in church. And I don't know about you, but if you're the type of person who sees a project and you don't see the finished part of the project, you just see the mess that lies before you. I can remember I've been blessed a couple of times to see my dad go through project cars some of you might appreciate this, and some others you might not. But I remember when I was in junior high, my dad bought a 1965 Ford Mustang Coupe, 289 V8, primer gray, Bondo in all sorts of parts of the car that didn't need to be there. But he had this car, and... I can even tell you this, this one time I was playing with the car as a, like a freshman in high school and I flooded the carburetor, tried, my dad went to start it and caught the thing on fire and had to replace all the wires and all this other stuff that, that happened. But the whole time my dad saw some end product and it never actually got accomplished because while he was on staff here, you guys went through something and my dad decided felt the Lord lead him to sell the car and give the money to the church and so he did I remember then I got a 19 my senior year while we lived just over here on Leonard Road my Volkswagen rabbit bit the dust and so my dad helped me buy a car and he found a car nearby somewhere here in Grants Pass and it was a 1963 baby blue Dodge Dart with a 225 slant 6 push button automatic. I thought it was the greatest car ever. It was. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I drove that car, I took care of that car, and I always had in my mind a dream of what I wanted that car to be. Because you see, you look at the book, right, and you get those old manuals for cars, and you, you remember what that car looked like on the showroom floor. And now, some 30, 40, 50, 60 years later, that car sits there and it looks nothing like what it looked like when it was on the showroom floor. And I started thinking about that in the terms of restoration, and maybe you have a, own your own version of that. You've remodeled a house. You've, you've taken something else from, from uh, the pile of scrap that it is or was, and you've turned it into something else that is now redeemable, is kind of back to original. And the idea of to restore means to bring really back to 
original. It's not custom, right? It's to bring it back to original. And so when you think about that in Scripture, and we talked about that, you go back to the book of Genesis, and here's Adam and Eve, and they're walking with God daily in the evening, and they're in this relationship with God that is so perfect in such a place that they're able to walk around naked and not be ashamed because there's no sin, there's none of these things. And this is the ideal, this is what God had intended for there not to be sin, not to be things. And then Genesis chapter 3, it all gets ruined. And for the next thousands of years, we have monumental failure after monumental failure. And, and I come to this, this text that we go into. The whole point is, is from the beginning of, of that fall in Genesis chapter 3, God began by already knowing the process to restore what he wanted to restore, which is why sometimes we say that the process of believing in Jesus Christ is to restore a right relationship with God. Right? We have those songs, restore a right spirit within me. And I love as a person who looks at a problem but can see the potential of what that thing is. And my dad again did that later in life. He built, rebuilt, or had a car rebuilt, a 62 Falcon Futura. A neat little car, kind of like a Dodge Dart. And I, I remember seeing that. And my dad just seeing the process of what could be and what to bring it back to what it was intended to be. And I wonder, in the process of either whether we're talking about silly things like building cars or what it was like for Israel in a moment, you know, Zephaniah is a prophet who exists around the time of King Josiah in Israel, who was a good king, but if you know the history of Israel, you know there one good king is surrounded by three bad on both sides. And I wonder when Jerusalem is finally carried off in 596 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar, and then in 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar, because of Israel's continued rebellion, sent his armies back to destroy the temple of Yahweh, I wonder if somebody was looking at the scrap heap of Jerusalem and wondering, there is, is there any way that this can be restored? And not that it was really about Jerusalem, right? But is there any way that God is still working? Obviously, I'm being pretty thick in my transition in this, right? And you think about maybe in your own life or people's lives around you that you've been praying for for years. Is there any hope of restoration? Is there anything here that's redeemable? Or is this just doomed to sit in the scrapyard of life forever until rust overtakes it? And praise God that we serve a God and King who looks at scrap and sees a finished product. Amen? That apparently wasn't as exciting to you, but that's okay. Sometimes we look at something and we see that it's somewhat irredeemable. And you wonder if you look at the book of Daniel sometimes, and in Daniel even chapter 9, right, he comes to a point where he 
praise to God. How long? He doesn't say that necessarily, but he says, how long? God, we are repentant. We have sinned. We have done these things. How long until you restore Jerusalem? How long until you finish what you're rightly judging us with? And even the book of Zephaniah, uh, he, he begins, the most of that book, some of you who are familiar with that book might be going, where in the world could he be going with this text? Because the first, the majority of that book, three quarters of that book pretty much is just judgment. Just judgment upon Israel. It's judgment upon Judah and what they have done and what God is planning to do because of their sin. But I love when he comes down to this. And, and I understand that some people, they really feel like things are just hopeless. Like there's nothing more that can be done. Your marriage is too far gone. The addictions have overwon. The, the problems you face, the, the things that you just can't let go of, the anger, the whatever it is, that it's too far gone. And I'm here to tell you that nothing is too far gone. No one is too far gone to be restored by Christ. And, and when it comes to even our mindset in Christmas, is I am thankful that God determined at the right time to send His Son to restore, to redeem, to be the consolation of Israel as it mentioned last week in our sermon. That this, this nation was broken, had fallen on hard times. I mean, consider for yourselves in a second, does any, Herod is not a Jew, but is the king of Israel? The priesthood had, had completely just lost its mind after the Maccabean period. The school of the Pharisees is created and all these things that were never intended to really be in Israel happened. And I wonder if the people who knew the Bible sat there, I'm sorry, the Bible, but knew the Torah, they knew the Old Testament Scriptures, if they sat there and said, is there any way that God still wants to work through us? And then to consider what we're going to celebrate in just seven days or really eight days here. But we'll celebrate it here in seven days. Next Sunday, when we come together and what it would have been like to have been the shepherds in the field tending their flocks by night and to be announced to them that the king is here, that God has intended to accomplish what he set out to do, to restore people to a right relationship with Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ to God. And that should motivate us to our mindset that every time that we gather up here and we're singing songs and we're, and we're going through the monotony and the, the troubled problems of what's going on, that God is still at work. Even when inflation is what it is and even when grocery bills cost what it is, that God is still at work and he's working in you and I and other people and desires that other people should be drawn unto him. That our entire purpose as followers of Christ is to create disciples who create disciples. Because God hasn't given up on any of us. And that should motivate us. It should lift us up. It should change how we look at what's going on around us. 
Because praise God for that. I think it, it comes, and sometimes I'm guilty of this, of being too somber-minded when I come to a text, but I want to be excited when I read this next text from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. It's, it's a kind of a, a big chunk here, but just follow along with me. And get the excitement that's behind the words here that Zephaniah has spent over three chapters discussing the judgment. God's been giving him judgment, judgment, judgment. Will there be relief, O God? And in verse 14, it says this, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your hearts, O daughter of Jerusalem. So in the midst of all this judgment that's going to happen upon Judah and Jerusalem, it comes down here and says in verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. We might call that Emmanuel. God with us. I even highlighted or underlined if you want here. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with your, all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praise among all the people of the earth when I restore your, for your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And you see, and, and, and the people of Israel would have looked at that and I'm like, yes! There's going to be a day where God comes in and he crushes our enemies. But I like that he says, I will deal with your enemies. Which really gives itself to one way or the other, doesn't it? Actually, what I'm rather trying to say is that it doesn't prone itself that God's going to put Rome under his foot and stamp them out. He's not going to take the neighbor from down the road or, or the person at work or school or whatever it is and go smack them around for you. That's what you want. If we're being honest, right? That's what you want. That's what we want. As humans in our fallen nature, we desire to see God punish those who speak against Jesus. But God's desire is to restore. God's desire is to draw all mankind onto Him so that they may have a real and right relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, so that the ultimate restoration may take place. What is the ultimate restoration, brothers and sisters, but to walk into eternal life with our God and Father? We're not meant for this. This is temporary. We're built for eternality with God. And, and more than that, God desires that all people would be built for that same. We're all built for eternal. Guess what? No matter where you stand on the side of salvation, whether you're with God or against God, you're eternal. 
When we die, our address changes. And there's one of two choices in the address. And God's desire is that all people would know Him. Not that all people choose Him, but that all people would know Him. And He said that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And none may enter the Father without Him. And He came to a broken and rather disgusting people of Israel at that time. And yet, they had made all these sins, yet they had continued to fall short of the glory of God. They've, you know, and by the way, have we continued to short, fall short of the glory of God? I think Romans kind of established that all have fallen short of the glory of God. So when I'm speaking of Israel, I'm not speaking to them in some defaming nature. I am speaking to the fact that they were not following God. And yet, God chose them. To be whom his son would come through. These kids watched this movie, The Star, last night. And it's, it's silly and it, it, maybe there's some things in there that aren't completely accurate all the time. But one of the things I, I love about that movie is just the, the, the hope that comes through its story. That just when you think that you're not worth it, that you've sinned too much, you've done too many things, that you're that car that should be out in the junkyard because you threw a rod and punched a hole in the block and now there's just nothing left for you to do because you can't afford to replace it, that God came and picked it up and said, but still, my son will come through these people. And you might be like me and say, but why? Why? I don't deserve that. I don't deserve a second shot. I don't deserve to be redeemed. Yet, Christ redeems us. For those of him who make Jesus our Lord and Savior, who are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are redeemed people. We have been consoled brought back into relationship with Jesus Christ so that we could have right relationship with God. And, and I don't even have to go into that, right? Like each and every one of you, if I asked for a show of hands, would you could say, oh, I'll do this for fun. How many of you know the deep and level of your sin? Some might be confused. How many of you know how deep and dark of a sinner you've been in life? And how many of you know that Jesus died and was born again to absolve you of your sin. You see, we often live in that and we believe that Jesus Christ came and died and, and rescued us from our sin, but then we continue to live all over here. Forgetting all that Jesus has done to redeem you and setting you on a path of righteousness for whose sake? His sake. Not ours. By the way, that's where self-righteousness comes from. When we live for our own righteousness. But we live for the righteousness of God. For a purpose, a tasking. When the Great Commission comes about, do we really think it was just for those 12 apostles? Well, 11 really, in that moment. Or do we think it was about each and every one of us? That we traded in the sin in our old flesh and we were given new flesh in Christ. That we, it came with commission. And it said, go therefore unto all the earth. Right? Right? Start walking. 
And share what? Not your theological prowess, not how smart you are, not how much you know in Greek or in Hebrew or Aramaic or something like that, or, or how many books you've read, what? Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right? I came and knew nothing other than that Christ and Him crucified. That's the Matt Fipp version. It's not verbatim. And I love that an apostle said, I came to you and desired to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. People, that's what they need. I I love that even Zephaniah here, if you go to verse 9 in chapter 3, God, I think, is giving a glimpse to Zephaniah of the kingdom of God, which is brought through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. See, we didn't deserve the consolation of Israel or the redemption of Jerusalem. As we mentioned last week, we deserve, as the Bible is very clear on, we deserve condemnation, we deserve judgment, we deserve to be separated. And I love that we go through all of this, and even in Zephaniah is getting a picture of this, but that when Jesus even comes and speaks with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John, and we brought this up before, I love that this is the the move and the method, and, and, and not method necessarily, but this is the move of which God is working, that he says, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. As Randy was even saying up here, and, and you know, I, maybe Jesus had big pastures out in front of him up in heaven, I'm not sure. In my mind's eye, that would be neat. Bunch of restored hot rods out there or something, I don't know. But God so loved the cosmos, the world that's so diametrically opposed to his plan of salvation, right? That that's the world that God so loved. And it says that he loved it as agape, right? That he loved it in a sacrificial form of love, that he gave his only son. The, the most precious thing that God had in his son, he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love that it continues to say in verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son, or in the name of the only Son of God. The the, the whole point that God desires is to restore you with a right relationship with him through the only way the only truth, and the only life, which is Jesus. One of my favorite TV shows that's no longer in the air, I think, is Overhaul, Overhaul and Bite with Chip Foose. Anybody familiar with that show? And obviously, you know, I like cars, and especially classic cars, but one of my favorite things about that show is it always was some un- undeserving soul, right, who's got some project that's been sitting in their garage that they can't get to, they can't work on, and Chip Foose and his team, they come and take a car or a truck or whatever it is, and they take it into their garage, and what seems like it would never be accomplished is accomplished because of other people. And I love that picture, right? I don't know if Chip Foose is a Christian. I mean, it'd be cool if he is, right? But 
I love that picture because in it I see this small glimpse of, of how God is really operating. He takes a project like you and I, and there's nothing there, right? In fact, if, if it was, it's like our wife's sitting there like, when are you going to finally sell that hunk of junk in the garage that's just been sitting there and you haven't touched it in 10 years? And you're sitting there, but there's hope there. I just see something there that, 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 that it could be. And you really think about that. And how do we even look at other people that are around us that God has placed in our life? Do we just see them as a hunk of junk that's just needing to go to the scrapyard? Or do we see that God has some kind of potential in them? Do we see that in our neighbors? Like I said, the, the person at school or work or, or here at the church. Maybe there's somebody here at the church that you just look at and like, you know, if they were just gone things would be a lot better. But God's like, but I see something there that you don't see. I see some potential of what God wants that person to be. And brothers and sisters, we need to catch that. We need to catch what God is trying to see in a person. It's so easy to fall into that. See, God's plan was to always restore right relationships between mankind and himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And it really does bring us down to our, so what about us? I already talked about my 63 Dart. I, I had a 77 C10. I, I mean, I, I love working on cars. And in my mind's eye, I always saw some picture of what these things are going to be one day. You spend hours on it. Even that Dart of mine, I... I Remember I graduated from Hidden Valley High School. I drove it up to Eugene to visit some friends actually in Junction City. And while I was there, we were going to church the next day and I, there was a knock in it. Those of you who are familiar enough with cars, you know what was about to happen. I put some fuel additive in it. I tried to nurse it along, drove it to church and on my way back from church, the knock got louder and louder and louder and I threw a rod and punched a hole in the block of that 63 Dart. I remember called my dad. My dad showed up with my uncle's uh, big, I think it was a green F-250 or F-350 that he had. And they came down with a U-Haul trailer and picked up my broke-down dart, drove it up, and we lived right down here on Helms Road. We parked it in the carport. And you know what I did for days? I tinkered on that thing. It was, it was a futile effort, I will tell you that. I went in the Navy, that car got moved down to Bob and Sherry's place just down here on Redwood Avenue, and there it sat, and finally I sold it, and I've never wanted a car more badly than I want that 63 Dodge Dart. That's silly, right? That's silly. But I believe that's the way that God looks at us. Now, fortunately, God's not like me, and he doesn't give up. Amen? Amen? God doesn't give up on us. Even when we slip up, even when we fall back, even when we stumble, God's there to catch us. God's there to move us towards what his image of us is, which is a perfected image in his son, Jesus Christ. That his desire is to see you where he plans to see you, not where you plan to see yourself. 
And brothers and sisters, the reason I bring this all back to Christmas and Zephaniah is you got to wonder if, if the people like the shepherds or Mary and Joseph and other people who had lived and understood all the prophecies and things like that, people like Anna and, and uh, um, others out there that we've been talking about over this past couple of weeks, if, if when they saw that little baby, if they really understood what was truly being accomplished was the redemption of sins and people. I, I believe that some of them did. Even in Daniel's prayer, when, when Gabriel comes, right? Daniel's praying in chapter 9, and he's repenting for Israel in chapter 9, right? And when Gabriel comes, he says, 70 weeks are decreed for you and your people. But do you know what he says right after that? To put an end to sin. Right? That all this timing was perfect and God was orchestrating, working all this timing down to a point where he's going to say, I'm going to send my son on this date. Right? That on this date, he's going to die for the sins of many. But in three days later, he will not be held by the grave and he will burst forth from the grave and be ascended to me on high that all who believe in Jesus' name, right? He even commissions us to go and do this, create disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, in the NIV, I like that the NIV uses the word obey and not observe, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and then promises to be with you to the very ends of the earth. So that you can sit here in this place and know that. But not just know that, right? But to go and share that. We're coming into Christmas, and how many people do you know, don't raise your hands on this, how many people do you know that are living without hope right now? At least a few. At least one. People living out there without hope, and we're celebrating a season of hope, bringing forth the Christ child, Emmanuel, God with us, and they should know that. This is everything that we're doing here, guys. Because I want other people to know this. I'm not telling you this for you, I am. But you should go and share that with somebody. It's not mind-blowing, is it? I'm not up here with a brand new step and a brand new thing. It's the same story that we've been saying for nearly 2,000 years in the church that the Christ, God Himself, came in flesh. Go and share it for the hope of the redemption of people's sins. Amen. Amen. That one day you and I could stand before God and He might say to us, and I pray that He says this to all of us, but well done, my good and faithful servant, that we might live with Him for eternity. Is there any other greater thing than to live with Jesus in eternity? And that's all of our goal. And we want to bring as many people along with us in that goal as possible. Amen? Well, that comes us to our challenges. Maybe this week you know that God has been calling you and you fall into the camp that you've done too much to be saved. But as I've said through this, brothers and sisters, no one is beyond restoration with God. 
No one is beyond restoration. Maybe your challenge is this, and I, I put this up here, and, and, you know, I fought against this for some reason. I don't know what that was. Maybe just some spiritual conflict there, but maybe your challenge this week, and, and this is a, a challenge for every week, right, is to go to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If that's a challenge that you haven't come before and said, Jesus Christ, I want Jesus Christ to take over. I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I would ask that you write that down. And, and, and short to that, by the way, is, is a second challenge is if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you know people who haven't. You carry in you a message of hope, a message of salvation that is for all the people, not just the ones you like, but for all the people. So again, as a continued challenge, pray for, I put down blank, that he or she would know the salvation that is only in Jesus Christ. That he or she would know that they are not beyond. That they haven't gone too far. There is a God in heaven and he loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. Maybe they're in your family, maybe they're your work. Maybe they're on your block. I don't know. Those are the challenges because, brothers and sisters, do you not have joy? Do we sit around inundated by what goes on outside of these walls and do you not see how, like I said before, the cost of groceries at the store or whatever? I know all of us are feeling the pinch of cost of groceries at the store. Amen? But do you have joy? In spite of all the things that are going on in the world, does Jesus Christ have your soul? then have joy. Do you believe that God will provide? He provided Jesus. He can provide for anything. We should walk out of here excited when you go to lunch. Whether you're going to lunch at home or you're blessed to go to lunch out or whatever it is or tomorrow when you go to work, that you should share the joy of Jesus Christ and the hope of this very season. You should take one of those little the invitations that are inside of your bulletin and hand that out and come hear about a God who loves you. A God who died for your sins and wants you to follow Him. That's, I'm not creating anything new here. Our last challenge as always is look at the Christmas gift. We're still raising money for these areas. That others may know that Jesus came and died for them. I don't know if it's, yeah, it's updated. I think, nope, it's actually we're a little over 2,000 as my last count. So we're, we're moving. Celebrate that, brothers and sisters. We've raised $2,000 in this economy today, right? Who cares if we don't hit what the initial goal is? Forget about the bar to the right, right? We're going to celebrate what God did in this. And even with this, others may know. Even by the actions that you take and go out into the community and the people that you love upon, the people that you share Christ with, others may know because how can they know if no one goes and tells them? So as our worship team comes up here, which I should have invited them like five minutes ago, <laughs> but I got going. 
And this is what you get. But as you go out, may we celebrate the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that He has risen from the grave, and that He desires that all people would come and know Him. So please stand and sing this next song with us.